We are in uh, the second week of our series, Fear Not, and if you were here last week, it was a very powerful start to the series. You know, many of us have struggled or could be in the middle of a struggle with fear, with anxiety, or we know people that are struggling with it, and we really saw through the word of what God says, and we're going to continue with that here this morning. Amen? So open your heart to God's word, and let's welcome our lead pastor, Joe Source. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Matt. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that so many of you are here this weekend because this is an important thing, an important message for us to cover. Um, Now, if you have never struggled with anxiety or fear or panic attacks or anything like that, you probably have somebody in your life that is. Now, let me explain to you. I'm not going to take a lot of time to review, but I will review a little bit. Let me explain to you why we're covering this, this series, why we're covering this topic. Amen? Um, I'm, again, I'm so glad there's so many of you here today. And I know there's so many new faces that we're here, so just welcome. We're glad that you're here and glad that you're giving us the opportunity to speak into your lives. Now, here's what happened about five weeks ago now, I guess it is. Um, it was the weekend before Palm Sunday. What we did that weekend was we asked all of our congregations from the two other campuses, the one up in Walt Township. Uh, by the way, if you know anybody in that area, please tell them that New Beginnings has a campus there. In all of our campuses, it's the same exact message every weekend. Obviously, we have a live pastor that's there. They're not watching a video. It's a live campus pastor that's there that delivers a message. So that weekend, we asked both campuses to shut down and for all the people to come here to the central campus So we were going to have a worship weekend, okay? We were going to dedicate the entire weekend to just worshiping God, praying. Um, There he goes. That's my my newest grandson over there on the front row. (laughs) Little Benjamin David always likes to make it. He likes to make his presence known. So let me get back to where I was. So that weekend, we asked all the people from the other campuses to come here. And we added an extra service on a Friday night. And of course, every service was packed just like this. And we spent time worshiping. On Friday night, it dropped in my heart very strongly from the Holy Spirit to take time to minister to the needs of individuals, to pray for people. And we did. And a bunch of people came up for prayer. Well, Saturday night service comes along, and here it hits again. Make time to minister to the needs of the people. So we did. Sunday morning, again, both services, we took time, God bless you, to minister to the people that were here. On Tuesday, when we have our staff meetings, start the week off with, um, we came together, and most of us that were on the pastoral team sat and started talking about the previous weekend, and said, we'll do, we review the the services, we'll review what happened in Bayville, we'll get reports from Bayville, get reports from Wall Township, from the campus there. And so we sat there, and we began to talk, and we realized in comparing notes, that over 50% of the people that came up on the weekend for prayer came up because of anxiety, because of tormenting thoughts, because of uh, fear, just not being able to sleep. And we're like, my God, is the Holy Spirit, can he make it any clearer? You know, because we believe in the Word of God. Do you believe in the Word of God? <clears throat> we as leaders, as pastors, receive our instruction from the Word. Now, there is a scripture in the Word of God that tells us that we're supposed to know the condition of our flock. We're supposed to know. And so we were like, man, the Holy Spirit's really showing us what's going on here. So we, we immediately set a plan in motion that as soon as Easter was over, that we would start this series dealing with anxiety and dealing with fear. Now, who was not here last week? I'm not doing this to bring any guilt or condemnation, just to know how much review that I have to do. Who was not here last weekend? Oh, that's not bad. Okay, good, good. That made you feel bad for nothing, right? Okay, so you're going to need to go listen to the recording from last weekend because last weekend's message was part one, but it was extremely different than part two. The two of them work together, but I'll do a quick review of last week, and then we'll move into the new material to finish this today. Now, I would love to have taken more time on this, and we'll, we will come back in the future and talk about this topic again. But we only have two weeks to do it, last week and this week. Okay, why? Because next weekend, we have a really great surprise for all of you. 
Can't tell you what it is, because if I told you what it is, it wouldn't be a surprise. surprise. But listen to me. You're going to want to be here. It's something very different that we're doing next week. Um, You're going to be glad you were here, okay? Just please, please, please make sure that you're here next weekend, okay? Um, I don't want to talk any more about that because I have a tendency to give away surprises, so I'm not going to say it. So, so we only get these two weeks. So now listen, last week, let me paraphr- just kind of paraphrase the whole thing real quickly and just put it together in a very short review because it's important that you know this. Again, last week's message was extremely different than the message you're going to get this week. Last week's message was more inspirational. This week's message is going to be more instructional. Amen. How many know that the word of God provides for both? Amen. Right, okay. So last week, we talked about an incident that took place in the life of a prophet named Elijah. Would you say that, please, Elijah? Put the, put the emphasis on the Jah, okay? Because there's another prophet whose name is Elijah. We're not talking about him. We're talking about his predecessor, Elijah, okay? Elijah's a mighty man of God, mighty prophet of God, worked tremendous miracles. There comes a point in his life, and it's covered for us in 1 Kings chapter 18, where he challenges the nation of Israel who had become very deeply embedded in idol worship, unfortunately, okay? So he challenges the nation of Israel, gathers them together at Mount Carmel, northern Israel, okay? And um, there's 450 idol-worshiping prophets plus all their followers, and then there's the people of Israel, and there's Elijah, Okay, Elijah challenges the people and say, listen, if you really believe that Baal, who was really a demon, if you really believe that that's God, then go worship him. But if you believe the true God is God, then worship him. And many of you are familiar with the story. They build two altars. The pagans build their own altar. They put a sacrifice on it, and they're shouting from noonday till mid-afternoon. Nobody's answering, Okay. Then Elijah walks over to his altar, and his altar is a little bit different than the pagan altar. His altar, not only did they put the stones together to build an altar, put the wood on it, they sacrificed, I believe it was an ox or something, and they throw it on a bull or something, they throw it on this altar, and then he gives them different instructions than the pagans did. He said, now, go get five-gallon buckets of water and soak this altar. Because the idea is this, whichever God answers by fire, he's God. So he's going to make it difficult for God, okay? Again, soak it with water, third time. Again, soak it with water, poured so much water on it that it, the water filled up a trench around the altar. And then Elijah offers a simple prayer, and bam, fire of God comes from heaven, lightning comes down, consumes the animal that was slaughtered, consumes the wood, the stones, the water, licks up everything, obliterates that sacrifice, and all the people of Israel fall on their faces and begin to shout, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Really, really what they were saying was, Adonai, he is God. Adonai, he is God. And then Elijah says to the people of Israel, go seize the false prophets of that demon god Baal and bring them here and they slaughter 450 false prophets. Amen? Amen. The next day, the queen of Israel, Jezebel, you guys remembered it. I was like, I'm not even going to bring it up just in case they remember. They don't remember. Jezebel Evil queen, evil. I mean, she's evil, okay? She finds out about the 450 prophets that she's been feeding, housing. They're on her payroll, and she finds out that they've all been killed, and she sends a messenger to Elijah, and a messenger says to Elijah, thus says the queen, you're going to be dead just like them within the next 24 hours. And he freaks out. Verse 3 of of chapter 19 says, and when he saw that, he feared. Here's the same guy who the day before, less than 24 hours before, had the guts, the courage, the boldness to face off the entire nation of Israel, slaughter 450 prophets, but the next day, the words of this woman 
formed a picture inside him. Remember, it says, and when he saw that, he saw what? He saw himself being slaughtered. He allowed that picture to form on the inside, and he ran for his life. He ends up far from his starting point, and the Bible tells us that he went and sat under a broom tree. Now, I went and looked it up. A broom tree is not a type of tree that you and I would think of. A broom tree is more like a shrub. It only grows very low to the ground. And it says, and he sat under, actually says, he hid underneath it. And all I could picture is the little bunnies in my backyard that go and hide under the shrubs and crawl in the mulch. And here's the prophet who the day before was courageous enough, bold enough, fearless to wipe out all these false prophets. Yet within 24 hours, he's hiding under a shrub. He got completely overwhelmed with fear, completely paralyzed with fear. And not only is thinking wrong, but now he starts talking really irrational. Have you ever had that happen? And now he starts saying, God, just take me. Let me die. I don't want to live anymore. I'm no better than my forefathers. And what does God do? God sends an angel to minister to this man who's hiding in the mulch under a shrub. And this angel comes and bakes him a little pancake and feeds it to him and, and brings him water and tells him to go to sleep and get some rest. And he's able to go on with the rest of his journey from that point because he receives strength. But here's the point of last week's message. I want you to get this because I've been reading this stuff for 39, be 39 years next week. And I never saw this until now. Elijah, the mighty man of God, the mighty prophet of God, the man who went to heaven in a fiery chariot, never exhibited one ounce of faith. He's full of fear. He's paralyzed with fear. He throws himself under the shrub. And God, what does he do? Ignore him because Elijah didn't display any faith? No. God showers Elijah with mercy. Mercy. Would you say that, please? Mercy. And what's the message that we got from last week? The message is this. Hey, listen, there's going to be times when we're going to slip. There's going to be times when we're going to let our guard down. There's going to be times when we fail and we get overwhelmed with fear and we get paralyzed and full of panic. And what happens at that point? The best thing to do is go to sleep. Go to sleep. God's going to take care of you. His mercy is going to cover you. Are you listening? Now, that was last week's message, message of mercy. This week's message is a little bit different, and they're both going to work together. You see, although God said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, his mercy towards us is just amazing. Elijah, in our eyes, through our perspective, we would have said we did, he deserved to be under a shrub. He should have known better. He should have did this, and he should have did that, and he should have prayed, and he should have did this, and he should have went to church, and he should all the things that we tell people when they're suffering from panic attacks. Please, for the sake of the person, maybe it's not you, and if you've never experienced these kind of things, it may be hard for you. I'm talking from personal experience. Many of you heard my testimony, okay? The worst thing that a person, when they're in a panic attack, needs to hear is, it's all in your mind. Don't do that. You're not helping. Turn to somebody and say, you're not helping. Don't tell them, suck it up. Don't tell them, oh, you'll get over it. To that person, it's very, very real at that moment. Mighty Elijah, I don't think he would have appreciated it if anybody had said, what's the matter with you? Yesterday, you killed 450 prophets. What are you doing underneath this shrub? But you notice that God doesn't send that kind of a message to him? God shows him what? Mercy. So thank God for that. Because listen, let's be, can we be real with each other? Can we be transparent here today? One person told me yes. Okay, listen, we're not going to always be on top. There's going to be times when stuff's going to hit you out of left field that you weren't prepared for. Are you listening to me? Now, now God knew it was coming. It was no surprise to him. But sometimes we get so busy in our life, things hit us out of left field. Something happens in our life and triggers emotions that we're not prepared for, and we find ourselves under a shrub. 
The last thing we need is a bunch of people coming around going, oh, you know what? I thought you were going to get over this the last time. And, you know, what do you know? You know, well, why aren't you praying? And how come you're not reading your Bible? And why aren't you listening to worship music? Shut up. <laughs> Nobody needs to hear that at that time. Okay? It's called ministering to the overwhelmed. That's a whole other message. I may have to do that again. They did that message a couple of times in the past 26 years. Ministering to the overwhelmed. When somebody's overwhelmed, they don't need you shoving stuff in their face. They need compassion. They need understanding. Okay? And we're Christians are notorious. Well, uh, I'll call, you know, let me text you a couple of scriptures. Or maybe you should go listen to this guy on YouTube. Or let me drop off a book. Years ago was let me give you a cassette tape. That person's so overwhelmed with what's going on in their emotions in their mind, they can't hear it. The Bible tells us that the Israelites, when they came to that place and, 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 and when they crossed over and sent the spies into the land, it says when they came back, because they were brought a bad report, they cried all night. You're going to come in contact with people like that. I know what that feels like. People that are overwhelmed don't need you shoving scriptures in their face. Okay? They need compassion and need mercy. Yes or no? Yes, yes or no? Yes. Okay. But now watch this now. Today's message is a little bit more instructional. Because the fact of the matter is, last week we learned this other lesson here. You see, the thing that happens sometimes with people that experience fear, people that experience torment, people that are experiencing nightmares, can't sleep, fear, 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 anxiety, stress, they start to identify with it. Because human nature acts in such a way with what you can't overcome, you start tolerating. You start justifying. And so you hear people say, well, it's just the way I am. Just the way I am. I, my, my son's here. My cousin's here. My other cousin's here. Our family's notorious. My mother was notorious. I talked about this last week. My, I guess, what, what can I do? God made me this way. I'm a worrier. No, God didn't make you this way. You made you this way. Okay, And again, we need to be careful that we don't instill those fears into our children. And, and trust me, most of us are notorious for doing that to our kids. Well, I love my kids. I worry about my kids. If you love your kids, you'll stay in faith with your kids. If you love your kids, you'll pray for your kids. You don't worry about them. You don't instill fear. Well, what if and what if and what if and what if? And my aunt's sitting here, and she'll attest to the fact. Uh, in our family, in the generations before us, the, the way a phone call went was this. My mother was notorious for this. My grandfather was notorious for this. As soon as you pick up the phone, they don't say hello. Did you eat? <laughs> Am I telling the truth? Yeah. Am I telling the truth? Am I telling the truth? My Josh, did, did you eat? Okay. All right. So what is that background of that? Fear. And I used to say to my mother, like I talked about last week, no, Ma, I haven't eaten a meal since I left your house 40 years ago. <laughs> We're starving to death. We're laying here, skin and bones, because you're not here. You I'm trying to make light of it, but you understand what I'm saying? Subconsciously, we breed fear into our children, and we can't do that, okay? Because at some point, some of that stuff is going to trigger things in their adult life. So let's get beyond that, okay? So now, we know that the mercy of God is available to us, yes or no? Yes. We know that if we should make a mistake or get lazy or drop our guard, and let stuff trigger us that the mercy of God is going to be there. Yes or no? Okay. However, that doesn't excuse us from acting on the responsibility that God's given us to resist the enemy and see him flee. Amen. And understand this. I started talking about identity. Your identity, whether you're experiencing panic attacks, fear, torment, anxiety, stress, all those things, that's not your identity. God did not create you that way. Regardless of what we say, well, it's my personality. God made me this way. No, he didn't. Because in the Garden of Eden, listen to me, in the Garden of Eden, which is our example of what life is supposed to be like, there's no fear. There's no instability. There's no lack. And lack, believe it or not, will trigger fears. Okay? For the most part, we live in a fairly prosperous society. Okay? And, but sometimes you can fall into these seasons of life where there's a little bit of lack, where you're in between prosperities. You understand what I'm saying? 
okay? Now, I'm not talking about you couldn't go on vacation or you could only eat out twice this week. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where you can't pay the mortgage, your car payment's overdue, uh, you know, you're, you're in a desperate situation. That can trigger anxiety. Has anybody been in that place? Anybody, anybody ever been in that place? Okay. All right. That can cause anxiety. That can trigger things. We got to be careful of that. So we know that's not God's will for us to live that way. Why? Because it didn't exist in the garden. Adam and Eve never had a fight over whether they're going to pay their mortgage or not. Adam, Adam never had to deal with, we don't have this, we don't have that, we don't have a house, we don't have food, we don't have, we don't have water. We don't have... All of his needs were taken care of. All of their needs were taken care of. Yes or no? But then sin comes on the scene. And as soon as sin comes on the scene, the very first thing we see affecting mankind is fear. Very first response, Adam, where are you? I hid myself because I was afraid. I keep bringing this up because I don't think we realize this is the first time that mankind experiences fear. And it's been plaguing us ever since. But that's not your identity. Now watch this now. Yes, thank God for the mercy of God. Yes, thank God for mercy. But God has called us to be warriors. I'll prove it to you in a little bit. God has called us to be warriors. Now, when times come when we're not able, his mercy's there. But God has given to us two weapons for us to use to fight adversity. Are you with me? Number one is the word of God. Number two is faith. Now, the word of God is pretty obvious. Number two is faith. See, you can know the word of God, but not have any faith and never see any success. You listening? Because the word of God and faith have to work together. Are you listening? If you're not understanding, give me a chance. Faith is what God gave to mankind in order to overcome the adversities. When Adam allowed sin to come into the world, and all of a sudden the ground's not producing the way it was, he's now having to sweat to earn his bread. All of a sudden weeds are coming up instead of plants. Thorns are coming up. Curses come upon the earth. God who was love, didn't turn around and say to Adam, you made your bed, sleep in it. He gave us faith. Now, Adam begins to have to tap into that faith. And what does God instruct him to do? By example, God shows him from now on, you're going to have to kill an animal to come into my presence. And you're going to have to do it in faith. You're going to have to operate with faith. Okay, he gives instruction to Cain and Abel. Abel received the instructions and by faith presented the sacrifice that God called for. Cain, although he knew the instructions, wouldn't operate in faith. He brought God whatever he felt like bringing God. You see the difference? Okay? So now we have this pattern now. And then in Romans, we receive the revelation from the apostle Paul, obviously by the Holy Spirit, that God has given unto each one of us the measure of faith. Yes or no? Everybody gets the same measure. The measure of faith. How much is that faith? I believe it's enough for us to get born again. I believe every human being that's ever been conceived, every human being that's ever been born has enough faith that when they hear the gospel, they they can display that faith, declare Jesus Christ to be Lord over their lives by faith, and receive salvation. But it doesn't stop there because we're called to walk in faith. Four times throughout the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, we're told this, for the just shall live by faith. So we're given two weapons to use. One is the word of God, but faith must accompany it. Yes or no? How did you get born again? By faith, well, it's by grace through faith. Okay, remember this. Can't go into it. A whole nother teaching. There's a whole nother teaching. Grace is always hovering over your life. You don't have grace. God has grace. You have faith. 
When you release faith, we access God's grace. grace. They have to work together. Okay? Amen? You got this? I'll say it again. You have faith. God has grace. You getting this? Because this is how the whole economy of God, the kingdom of God operates. He's got grace. You've got faith. When you release faith, he releases grace. Always works that way. No matter what promise, always works that way. You got it? Okay. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. I want to show you something here. Now we're talking about instruction. Instruction. What are we battling against? We're battling against fear. We're battling against anxiety. We're battling against stress. Amen? Amen. 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 Are you with me here? Okay. Help me out. This is the third service of the weekend. Okay? Help me out. Here's the instruction that we receive from the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. Therefore, take up. Would you do that with me, please, right now? Put your hand out. Put your hand out and do this with me. Take up. Let me see it. Let me see it. Take up. Okay? Exercise this. That's what happens to us Christians. We'd rather hide under the shrub and wait for the mercy of God than to actually exercise our faith. Amen? Therefore, ready? Take up the whole armor of God. For what reason? Why? Why should I take up the armor of God? That you may be able to withstand on the evil day or in the evil day. In the evil day. What's the evil day? Whenever adversity shows up. Some people say, I have an evil week. (laughs) Whenever adversity shows up, that's when we need to implement these things. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, next verse, stand. That seems easy enough. Having done all, and so then you'll hear, but pastor, I prayed. I've even come to church every service this week. I paid my tithes. I've been up reading the Bible. And nothing's happened yet. See what you're doing? You're not standing. You're backtracking. You listening? Having done all to stand, stand. That's going to make more sense in a little while, okay? Stand, therefore, having having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We'll talk about all these things another time. Next verse. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, which gives you stability in life. Okay, next verse. Above all. Now, so this gets important now. Because the other pieces are important. But now he said, but above all. In other words, finally, ultimately, most importantly, do what? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Let me see it, let me see it, let me see it. Taking the shield. If, if something, if I have to take the shield of faith, it means it's not automatically with me. Yes or no? If I have to be told to take the shield of faith, that means it's not automatic. Would you, would you get that, please? It's not automatic. I have to take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to do what? quench all the fiery darts or arrows of the wicked one. All of this is going to make sense in about three minutes, okay? And take, here we go again, and take the helmet of salvation. Helmet, helmet. What does the helmet cover? Which signifies what? Your thought life. You got to be intentional about your thought life. Turn to somebody and say, got to be intentional because your thoughts are going to run wild. And take the helmet of salvation and the what? Let me see your hands. And the what? The sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. Watch this. The symbolism involved here is based on Paul's experience. You remember that Paul was in prison in Rome. Actually, twice. Last time he didn't get out. We can assume with all confidence that he knows the weapons of a Roman soldier. He's talking specifically 
about a particular shield that the Roman armies used that caused them to become invincible. I know you see these movies and stuff. You see like the gladiators. The gladiators usually have the sword. They have the cute little round shield, like a little Louis Vuitton shield. <laughs> like, what are you going to do with that? Because they're, the, they're not in the arena to win. They're in the arena to put, the re, oh, arena. They're in the arena to put on a show and eventually die. That's not the shield Paul's talking about. The shield Paul is talking about is the size of a door. It's big. It's wide. It's tall. And on the bottom of it has spikes. So that when you're facing an army that's coming to attack you, you move up to the front line, and they would take that shield and go, whack. Put those spikes into the ground, sending the message, come on, because I'm not budging an inch. This is as far as you come. Now, those shields were constructed by planks of wood that are lashed together to make them strong. And then they would cover the shield with leather. Some of you know this already. And the Roman soldiers, what they would do before they went to battle was go to a lake or a creek or some source of water and soak the shield so that the leather would absorb all that water so that when they're going on the battlefield and they shove that thing into the ground, that army is going to start launching fiery arrows at them. And when those fiery arrows hit the shield that was soaked in water, guess what happened? That's why Paul says, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench extinguish, put out every fiery dart of the enemy. What does that mean? The thoughts that come to your mind from the kingdom of darkness. Fear, anxiety, stress. You can't take this anymore. You've had enough. Oh, it's over. You're never going to come out of this situation. You're going to lose your house. You're going to lose your car, your health this, that, whatever. You have your own set of fiery arrows you got to deal with. That's what Paul's talking about. But watch this now. I said to you that every shield is constructed by individual planks, okay? How much protection would that soldier have if he was just behind one little plank with a handle on it, like So that shield would be built with multiple planks. And there's a spiritual principle that we can relate this to. In Deuteronomy, I believe it's Deuteronomy 19, if I'm not mistaken. There's a principle that's given to us in the Word of God. It says this. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every fact be established. And so from that, we gain this spiritual principle. I'll boil it down to this. You have an adversary, you have a challenge, you're under attack. What is the subject of that attack? What is the goal of that attack? Then go find out what the Word of God says about that attack and start building your shield. You listening to me? Can I have that picture, please? Paul called it the shield of faith. Across the top... Is a scripture. One of the over, is the word overarching? In other words, covers all this. The umbrella scripture. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Amplified version. Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him, for he cares for you affectionately, and cares about you watchfully. Let's talk about this before we go to the other planks in the shield, okay? Now watch, I'm telling you ahead of time, you can build a shield like this for anything you're going through. If it's physical healing you need, you build your shield accordingly. If your marriage is in trouble, you build a shield accordingly with scriptures that support that. Are you lacking peace? You build a shield of peace. Are you lacking finances? You build a shield of finances. Whatever financial promises that God's made to you. Whatever, whatever situation, there's not a situation in your life that you can't build a shield for. Are you getting this? Yes. So, we're to cast all of our cares 
all our anxieties, all our worries, all our concerns, once and for all, over on him. Why? Because he cares for you affectionately and cares for you watchfully. I couldn't think of a better illustration than this. How many of you have ever, gone, ever had to go to the emergency room for a medical situation? Let me see your hands. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. How many times did you go there, okay, and they put you in that little room? First of all, they slapped the thing on your wrist because you can't get away. <laughs> put you in that room, and then somebody comes, and you can tell as soon as they begin to speak to you, wow, this person is called of God to do this job. You can tell they care. Are you listening to me? How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have had the opposite situation? I mean, and God bless everybody who works in the medical profession. But how many times have you gone someplace, they shove you in the, in the, in the room, and then six hours later, they come back? And you could tell. They don't even look at you. So what's going on? So tell us what's going on. Yeah, okay, what else? You know that person should probably be selling hot dogs someplace. <laughs> yes or no? Are you listening? Yes or no? You could tell this person's not called to do this. They're better off going to work someplace else. God cares for us affectionately. He's not only concerned about the situation that you're going on, that's going on right now. He's, and he's not just like, okay, let's get you an ad here. Here, take this, take some prescription. Go see your own doctor next week. No. What is he? He cares about you. What's happening now? how it's going to affect you next week, next year, next... You can tell. And then he cares for us watchfully. He knew this was coming. He tries to prepare us, but sometimes we're so cluttered in our minds. How many of you have ever gotten so busy? How many of you have gotten so busy? Something happens, and then a couple of days later, you think to yourself, wait a second. I had a feeling this was going to happen. Just, if I really would be honest, I had a feeling this was going to happen. What was going on? God was caring for you watchfully. He was trying to tell you, hey, this is coming. Get ready. Build yourself up. Start praying. Take authority over the enemy. Now, I put that at the top of the shield because I believe that shows us the nature and character of God. And sometimes, listen to me, if you're experiencing fear, you know somebody's been experiencing fear. If you will begin to study the nature of God, you'll find out this one thing. He is a protector. He's fierce about protecting us. In the Old Testament, he said this, he who touches you touches me. He treats you like the apple of his eye. The apple of the eye is not a regular red apple. You see cartoons. No, it's that little pupil thing there, okay? What happens? When, when, what happens? What is a natural reaction for you when somebody tries to poke you? Do you have to think, oh, I close? No, it's automatic, right? That's God. That's how he is with us. Automatic, boom, protects us, protects us. If you'll get that deep down inside, no matter what fear you're facing, you'll convince yourself, doesn't matter what symptoms I'm experiencing, he's not going to let anything happen to me. He's a protector. He's a protector. Get that deep inside. So now let's build the shield, all right? Let's build the shield. Yeah. We're going to do one. We got, that, we got that, that cross beam on top, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, right? Somebody should be writing this down because we're building a shield, okay? All right? What's the first plank? First plank, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. You probably know this by heart. For God has not given us a spirit of but of power and love and a what? Sound mind. Sound mind. Stable mind. Stable mind. Not up one minute, down the next. Not all full of emotions. Stable mind. First plank in the shield. Amen? Amen. Next one. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed. Do not be dismayed. Dismayed means to fall apart at the seams. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. With my righteous right hand. When you see that phrase, my righteous right hand in the Old Testament, it's not talking about a hand. It's talking about a person. Who is God's righteous right hand? Jesus. Jesus. 
He's saying, fear not, I'm with you. Don't fall apart. Verse 13, that same chapter says, for I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. He'll hold your right hand. Can I ask you this question? How many times have you been in a situation where it looks like, oh my God, everything, all chaos is broken out. All hell is broken loose. Everything's going wrong. You're being attacked from all angles. And all of a sudden, you say, I don't understand this. I should be completely paralyzed with fear, but I just sense the peace of God. How how many of you know what I'm talking about? You know what happened? He just took your right hand. When that happened, he took your right hand. And when he took your right hand, the peace of God that passes all understanding just overwhelmed everything in you that should be saying, go hide under a shrub. You listening? Is this helping anybody today? Plank number three. Joshua 1.9. What are the planks? What is the shield made of? The shield is made of the word of God. What in particular? The promises in the word of God. There is shield. You have to build it because it's particular and specific to what you're going through in your life. Joshua 1.9. Now watch. What position is Joshua in right now? Moses, the guy he's been following for the past 40 years, is dead. He's used to being in Moses' shadow. He's used to being Moses' helper. He's used to taking instruction and direction and wisdom from Moses. Moses is dead. God says to him, it's your turn now. You're going to take the people of Israel into the promised land. Don't you think that would be fearful? You're talking two and a half to three million people. Amen? Have you ever been around a group of even more than 10 people and try to lead them? Oh, I think we should do it this way. And why aren't we doing it that way? And why isn't it this color? And why is it that? You better believe Joshua went, oh, my God, if I knew it was going to be like this. So what, is, what does God have to do with him? Have I not commanded you? Commanded. Not suggested. Commanded. Have I not commanded you to be what? Strong. And what? Of good courage. Do not be afraid. It's a command. Do not be afraid, okay? Nor be dismayed. Don't fall apart. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So here's the shield. It's a shield of faith. It's a shield made up of the promises of God. But you got to put it together. It's like an Ikea shield. They look beautiful, but you got to put it together. But God never misses any of the parts. And the instructions are clear. You build a shield. You soak it in water. Holy Ghost. Why? So you can quench every fiery dart that the enemy throws at you. Every thought. Every, Every suicidal thought every depressive thought, every thought of failure, you go here, boom, I'm taking my stand. And when you've done all to stand, stand. Plug that thing into the ground, get behind it, and let it take the full force of the enemy. Amen? Amen? But there's another weapon that he's given us. And we got to build that one too. Go back to Ephesians 6 to verse... 17, please. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword. Come on, everybody. Sword. Sword. Come on, everybody. You got an arm? At least raise one arm up. The sword. You got to take the sword. Does he have his hand up? He usually has his hand up. (laughs) You take the sword. And what do you do with it? You go after the enemy. The shield is a defensive (laughs) weapon. The sword is an offensive weapon. Okay? Listen. And you got to pick it up. And you got to use it. You listening to me? You don't stand here. If you want to live through the battle, you don't stand there with the sword laid to go, okay, enemy, would you just run yourself into this sword? Here I am. Come on, just run. What do you do? You pursue. You go after him. David didn't wait for the giant to come to him. David went to the giant. 
you take your sword and you go after the enemy. How does that apply to us, Pastor? Here it is. A thought comes. Your stomach starts to cramp up. You're called to do something or, or go somewhere or be somewhere. You get an invitation to go even to a, a social event. And if you suffer any of the things that I've been talking about, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You first start thinking, as soon as the invitation comes, you first start thinking, can I make it through this without having a panic attack? So as soon as that thought comes, your stomach starts to, the thought comes. No, don't wait for the enemy to come up on the battlefield. Go get your sword. Go get your sword. And you go after you don't wait for the thought to come full-blown. You don't wait for the thought to, to form a picture on the inside so that now you're freaking out because you're relating to the picture that was formed on the inside. As soon as you feel a symptom, as soon as you get a thought about fear, you go get your sword and you go after that enemy. What's the sword made of? Let's get that picture, please. And we're going to move quick here. We've got to finish in the next five minutes. Are you, are you going to listen quick? Let me have this sword. Here it is. Nice looking sword, isn't it? It's a nice looking sword? Yes. Okay. But it's not a museum piece. It's to be used. Okay? It doesn't matter how many scriptures we know how to recite. It doesn't matter how many scriptures we memorize. What matters is what's coming out of your mouth when those symptoms begin. Are you listening to me? Yes. Jeremiah 31.3. Love this scripture. Watch, you're going to see something unique about the sword. It's very different than, than the shield. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you. What tense is that? Yes. It's a settled deal. He loved you before you were even conceived. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness, with mercy. Amen. Doesn't the scriptures tell us that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance? It's the goodness of God that draws us to him. Yes or no? Yes. Say, well, pastor, the shield was made up of scriptures about fear. Yeah. But the sword is based on the love of God. Amen. Why? A couple of reasons. Number one, there's only one thing in the Bible that it says never fails. You know what that is? Love. love. Number two, the enemy hates the love of God. Yeah. If he can convince you that God doesn't love you, God's done with you. You've, you've sinned too many times. He's not there for you anymore. Then he can move in. He can move in full force with fear, with anxiety, with stress, with torment. 1 John chapter 4, go read it, tells us that perfect, mature love casts out all fear. So what are you going to go after fear with? Love. Love. Because when you're convinced of the love of God, and we'll see that Paul got convinced, when you're convinced of the love of God, fear doesn't have a place in your life anymore. You've got to go after the enemy with love. Not loving him, but the fact that you are loved and you're convinced of that love. Jeremiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, God spoke to him and said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with my loving kindness. If you'll concentrate and saturate yourself about, on the love of God, fear will begin to dissipate in your life. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. The Apostle Paul writing to Rome. No, in all these things we are more than what? Powers. More than what? Powers. In order to be a conqueror, what do you need to be in the middle of? A battle. Not hiding under a shrub. Fighting a battle. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who... Loved us. Okay, we're almost done. Please give me your attention here. Next, next, next part of that. For I am convinced. Are you convinced? Are you convinced? Yes. If you're not, you better become convinced. You got to become convinced. How are you going to become convinced? By knowing what the word of God says. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, <gasps> neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us. Watch me. Separate us from what? The love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says there's nothing. Once God, he said in Jeremiah, I have loved you with everlasting love. In other words, that love I have applied to you. The love of God has stuck to us. 
There is no crowbar in the entire universe that can pry us away from that love unless you decide not to believe it anymore. No sin that you've committed, no torment, no devil, no, no sickness, no disease, no trauma. That nothing exists that can pry you away from the love of God. That's what you need to go after the enemy with when those thoughts of fear come. No, no. God loves me. God's protecting me. God's surrounding me with his love. He committed his love to me before I was even conceived. Fear, get out of here. Torment, get out of here. What's the next part of that, shield, that uh, sword? Isaiah 54, and then we're going to wrap this up. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed. Don't you feel like sometimes in our society right now, everything is shaking? Nothing is secure anymore? You don't know what to believe, what not to believe. You don't know who to put confidence in, who not to put confidence in. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has what? Compassion on you. There is a big difference between pity and compassion. Pity looks and goes, oh, what a shame. That's terrible. Can't believe they're going through it. See ya. Compassion sees, gets in the pit, with the individual in order to lift them up. His compassion, his love, those are the things that are going to keep you sane. Those are the things that are going to cause you to overcome the anxiety, the stress, the torment, the nightmares. But you might be saying right now, you only got two more minutes around here. But pastor, you don't know what I've been through in my life. I don't. I don't. But you know what? There's one in heaven who does. He knows what you've been through. He knows how you've been victimized. He knows the mistakes you've brought on yourself. He knows all these things. He knows the trigger points. And God forbid we should fail and get overwhelmed with fear. He doesn't cast us aside. He'll minister to us with his mercy even under a shrub. But his desire is for us to be more than conquerors. And so please, church, build your shield. Plant that shield. Get your sword. As soon as you start feeling symptoms of fear and anxiety, get that sword and go after the enemy. Convince yourself of the love of God. Saturate yourself in the love of God, and you'll see that fear won't have any hold on you. Amen? Amen. God bless you. If you need prayer for anything, please come up, especially if you have never asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life, to be your Lord and Savior. If you've never made a commitment to follow Jesus and to make him the Lord over your life, please, please, I pray that today would be the day that you take that step. Amen? If there's anybody here who needs prayer for anything else, please come on up. If not, God bless you. Don't forget, be here next weekend. Amen? God bless you.